It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in Hollywood, California. This is where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, the Batman. My name is Adam Silverstein, and as always, I'm joined by London, and also from the shadows again this week, we have Shadow Adam. London. How are you this week? I'm great. How are you doing? Well, I am actually, I'm fantastic. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you why. Because even though the listeners are listening seven weeks ahead, at least at this moment, we're we're a bit in the few, we're recording a bunch of episodes, uh, we went live yesterday with the first episode. And I got to tell you, I... Listen to the whole entire show again, and I loved it. And I just want to congratulate you and uh, give you a big shout out because I thought it was fantastic. I thought you were great, and I again, you continue to impress uh, me with your knowledge, your research, your diligence, your hard work. And I just got to say, doing these podcasts with you have been awesome. So thank you. Oh, thank you, and meltdown for having this and giving me the opportunity to expand more on what I do on the Instagram account at instagram.com slash history of the Batman. It's so much fun and I can give more detail and I think a little more insight into what I already do on the page and hopefully the followers will listen in and learn even more about their favorite hero. Right. And, and the craziest thing is, I mean, you're still putting these posts on Instagram Every night. Right. I mean, you are a busy woman. So I just think it's fantastic. I think it's a great, um, you know, gift essentially that you give to, well, Meltdown, of course, and the fans and, you know, your continual, you know, attention to detail. It's just very much appreciated. So. Thank you. Yeah. Shadow Adam, how was your week? It was great. It was uh, listened again like you did and it sounded great. Good. Did you hear your voice? Uh, barely on that first one, but uh, on the second one, I'm sure it'll come through clear. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, this week we have quite a show. I mean, um, it is Mason, the engineer's favorite villain. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, we, we're going to convince him, though, I think, tonight. And uh, London, do you want to introduce or tell the listeners what this week's podcast is about? I would love to. This week we're having a character spotlight, and it's on the Batman villain Bane. I wanted to do this one not just because Bane is my personal favorite 
Batman rogue, but I think beyond what everyone knows of Bane is how he's the man who broke the bat, that there's a lot of other history and a lot of different ties to him that make him more dynamic and not just some giant brute that physically broke the Batman. And I kind of want to talk about that today. Well, Bane is a character that came later in Batman's canon. Definitely. Um, the first villains came in 1939 when Batman debuted, and then in 1940 we had rogues such as the Joker and Catwoman. Um, but Bane is, he came in 1993 in a one-shot uh, graphic novel called Batman Vengeance of Bane um, and was created by uh, writer Chuck Dixon, Doug Moynton, artist uh, Graham Nolan. And so it's always interesting to see how much of an impact certain characters have on Batman where they're like less than, well, they're about 20 plus years old, whereas joke, uh, villains such as the Joker, they've been around for 75 years. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see how much, you know, how many stories there have been of him, how much we've kind of learned about this character in such a kind of short period of time. Well, that's right. I mean, I think when one thinks of Batman, I mean, obviously, you think of the Joker, right. you think of the Penguin, you think of the Riddler, you talk about Catwoman. These are the, the big ones, right? Am I missing anyone else? Right. And probably Two-Face. They're yep. all kind of reoccurring villains, so everyone is much more familiar with them. And what's interesting about Bane is that he's, he's, not, he's not in as many story arcs as, are, as um, those villains that you just said, but when he's in the Batman story arcs, he makes a large impact and is really an important character. Definitely. Yeah, so I guess when it comes to thinking about that and how you've done the research and how you appreciate Batman, I mean, how did Bane become your favorite? Because I was joking earlier in the <laughs> show that it was Mason's favorite, but like you said, it's truly your favorite. And people like Mason over there is I can't understand this, right? right. <laughs> so how, how did it become your favorite? And it's not even Mason. I mean, I've come across people I've talked to on the site, and they're like, why is Bane your favorite? My, why isn't it the Joker? Why isn't it the Riddler? And Rising Ra's al Ghul and things like that. Um, but for me, it's more personal because I first watched... The first Batman I watched was the Adam West series from the 1960s. I watched the reruns with my dad. And I automatically fell in love with the characters and how, like, bright and just pop it was. And pretty much how at the end of every two-part episode, Batman and Robin would figure out a way to get out of whatever situation they were in and to beat the bad guy. And then when I started to watch um, Batman the Animated Series, which started in 1992 by uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, and how I really loved that, you know, dark, you know, film noir type uh, animation that it gave, I first saw the episode titled Bane, and it really interested me because I'd heard about the character, and I heard about him in comics that were more recent. It, the episode came probably about a year after he was introduced in comics, and I was just fascinated with just kind of like his strength and kind of how articulate he was and just 
how he was really intimidating to Batman. And so, of course, I wanted to learn more about him. And that's when I discovered the Batman Nightfall arc in comics. And so the first, and I was impatient, so the first issue I read, I wanted to know how he beat Batman. Because to me, I've never seen Batman lose anything from all of the shows I watched and everything. You know, he always had something in his utility belt that would get him out of the situation. But here... In the comics, he lost. And so that actually really interested me because I think it's not just something good if a hero always wins or they don't have a weakness or anything. So I wanted to see how that actually unfolded in comics. Which actually led to last week's podcast of the myth of the Batman God complex, right? Right. Because probably after you realize that, wow, Bane beat Batman and broke the bat, then what else? How, did he ever get beat other than that? Right? Exactly. So, so I read uh, Batman four ninety seven, which was the the Broken Bat, which was I think part nine of the first arc, uh, Batman Nightfall, and I loved the art and I loved the storyline, and I just even though it was brutal and you know gritty and violent, I really enjoyed what I saw. So I wanted to read the rest of the story and I read all the other 18 issues that were included and then that's really when I started reading a little bit more about comics and just I liked the stories um like I said in the first episode where it's kind of the um how the page began you know I really got into comic book art and its ties in the historical content when I was in when I was uh, studying at LMU um as an art history major but this definitely started me into liking Batman even more than I already did. So that's why, for me, Bane holds a special place in my heart because he was the reason why I started reading comic books. But besides that, I like I said, I think Bane is more than just, you know, brawn. You know, he he's brilliant and he actually has a lot of struggles that he, just a regular human will go through. And I think I wanted to talk about stories that kind of highlight that and how Bane and Batman after um, Nightfall, which we'll discuss, kind of have a very interesting relationship where they have to help each other out and they're connected in ways probably readers don't really know about. Right. For me, again, I am, I've been a self-professed Marvel fan. I, have, I'm, I love Batman from... Obviously, that was the first superhero that I liked, even. Uh, but when I think of Bane, I think of this brawny, just muscular, enraged person. And right. you mentioned that he's actually a more complex hero than that. Why do you think I think that? <laughs> or, or, or let me ask you this. Do other people think that? Definitely. I think people, and there are, I mean, and that's fine. There are lots of people who don't read the Batman comics. I talk to followers from the page every day that, you know, when I talk about comics on there, they're like, oh, I didn't even know that existed. Or they only have a viewpoint of either maybe the animated series, the several ones that Bane's appeared in, or even the films, especially the, you know, mid-90s Batman and Robin, which we'll talk about soon. Um, I just think a lot of people just see the muscle mass. You know, if they just see the visual and there's no word bubble or there's nothing behind it where he talks, I think they just see just his huge muscle man, especially when he pumps up on the steroid venom and becomes even more massive. And it's just visually, you know, 
fearful of right. it. And I much. think probably also, you know, it's easy to revert back to the Hulk type of hero exactly. where you get the matter you get you know the stronger he gets obviously the less intelligent he is and not many people even realize that he had moments where he was bruce banner Definitely. in the hulk's body so i'm sure it's probably just my ignorance that uh, <laughs> and not reading enough about no it. i mean i i mean it's okay for people not to have read all of the comics because you know, for a lot of people, how they know Batman and his, you know, history and things like that are through, you know, other visual media, and that's how people get to love them. And I think that's great, and I that's why I always like to talk about the comics that either influence the films or just comics that maybe are a little more obscure that would give people more insight into probably characters that they enjoy, including Bane. Has Bane been in Batman video games? Yes, um, I guess the most recent would be the Batman Arkham series, I and mean, he was a big um, rogue in Arkham Asylum. Do do they portray him as a intelligent villain in the video games, or is it more? I like mean, a... his verbal skills are just fine; they're like okay. yours and mine. Um, but of course, he's still just a massive being, so that's already more intimidating than whatever would come out of his mouth, whatever he would say. So people are more drawn to the aesthetic part of it than necessarily, you know, what he's saying to Batman. Right. So can you tell me a little bit about, well, obviously you have the issues where he first appeared and how he went in the big story arcs, but do you think you could tell me a little bit about the origin of Bane? Definitely. I think it's more interesting enough. It's it's great to start with um, a Batman arc that Bane is not even included in, but it has a really important factor to Bane. Um, it's uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, um, which is a publication that was in the early 90s. Um, the volume one, it pretty much told stories about Batman in his kind of early years and kind of not just within the main continuity of the Batman comics at the time. It would show like, you know, first encounters with rogues and things like that. And there's a story arc called Batman Venom and it's between issues 16 and 20. It's a five issue story arc. It was written by Dennis O'Neill and um, the illustrations were by Jose Luis uh, Garcia Lopez. And it's it really shows the struggle that Batman goes through kind of like as the human that he is. Um, in, I guess in a general uh, synopsis, he Batman tries to save a girl from drowning in a well and he pretty much fails. And he puts the guilt upon himself saying that I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I need more, you know, I need more than just my ar- my martial arts and my knowledge and all the sciences and everything. And he felt like he was too weak to still continue to be Batman. So he tried this um, kind of trial drug that, you know, hasn't really been tested and it was a compound steroid and it was called Venom. And so he was told that it would make you stronger and it would make you a better hero. And once he went on it, it made him, it did, you know, enhance his strength. But then again, it made him become addicted to the drug. You know, if he wanted to use it once, you know, to defeat somebody, he he pretty much couldn't get off it. I mean, he was addicted to this drug and you see through the five issues how he 
becomes completely consumed by it and has to lock himself away in the Batcave for 30 days to try to pretty much shake off the drug. It's like his own personal rehab. And you sh- and he's, you know, battered and has, you know, the long beard and just, you know, he pretty much is having really bad withdrawal from it. And at this point, you never really saw Batman, you know, go through something that's actually relatable to a lot of people who go through addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or anything that you can become addicted to. And then pretty much by the end of the issue, he shakes his addiction and he's tempted to use it again to fight, but he decides that he should just be, you know, who he is. And that and Venom was introduced in that arc, which was in 1991. And Bane isn't in existence or anything like that. He's not referenced. But then in 1993, in January, Bane is introduced in um, Batman, The Vengeance of Bane. And you get his backstory in that issue. Now, when they introduced Bane, was it the same writers who introduced Venom? No, but the writers, I guess, liked the concept of Venom and how it kind of bulked up Batman and kind of made him this strong man. Um, So I think they applied that to Bane in the later stories. And Bane was actually created for Nightfall. He was created to be the one to beat Batman, to break him. That was uh, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan's main point but they had to give an origin story first so he's not just kind of out of the blue you know people wouldn't say well this character is brand new how in the world could he know Batman and break him and you know be the villain that did this before anyone else did so the one shot definitely gives his origin story so how did Bane the character come into existence himself not necessarily the Venom, but the, the But the character itself. By the well, way, does he have a, a name? Uh, no. We just know him as Bane mm. for the most part. I mean, there's not really a given name to him. You know, He doesn't have really an alias, kind of like Joker. He doesn't really have a, a I guess, steady alias. You know, even in his origin, they kind of, they don't really name him. They only name him because of what he does in the certain situation. Um, don't, but, don't they name his father, though? Or no? Um, you learn about who his father is in later issues, which we'll talk about in the, uh, I guess it's the Veritas, ooh, I forgot the name, it's like Liberté, if I'm pronouncing it right. But I was in the early 2000s, and you learn who his biological father is, and that's when Batman actually comes into play, and it's, that's an interesting story, like, which we'll talk about. Okay. But... In um in the Batman Vengeance of Bane, you learn that there was a massacre on the fictional island um, Santa Priscilla, and his mother survived all of the you know the the tirades and everything, and she was put into this prison um, called the Pina Duro. And while she was in prison, she gave birth to her son, which would be Bane, and. She was unfortunately killed and thrown over into the shark-infested oceans. It's very dramatic, but Bane lost his mother. He didn't know his father, and so he pretty much was raised within the prison. And while he was raised in the prison, he, you know, you know, pretty much built himself to be this ultimate strongman. He read countless books, and he pretty much, you know, kept his time to himself when he was growing up. And at one point when he was a young man, he became so strong and so dominant, he was 
the most feared, I guess, prisoner um, there, and they gave him the, the name Bane. And since pretty much, I guess, the warden types of the prison were so afraid of him, they put him in 10 years of solitary confinement. Um, so he was locked away, but then once these doctors on the island, they wanted to try this experimental drug on their most dangerous um, prisoners, which was called Venom, the same Venom that we saw in the Legends of the Dark Knight story. Um, Bane had the, I guess, more or less best response to um, taking the Venom, whereas the other prisoners either died or became sick. But for him, when he was, you know, injected with venom he became the probably more you know he became more stronger and he pretty much was unbreakable and he was unstoppable and he with all of this strength he broke out of the prison and through his group of men that he gathered to be his henchmen you know he's you know on venom and he's just ready to destroy anything they tell him about this kind of urban legend in Gotham City, which was kind of nearby when she was going to, and it's called the Batman. And he thought he was the ultimate ruler, ultimate strongman, and that no one can beat him. So his goal set up at the end of this one shot was that he's going to find out who Batman is and systematically destroy him and become the ruler of Gotham. Okay, that's based on a story that the prisoners told him? Right, one of his men that he, I guess, took from the prison to be like his henchmen, the men who worked for him, they told him that they've heard of this, you know, urban legend that of this man called Batman. Why do you think Bane became so fascinated with this urban legend? I mean, is is it really just to show who's the strongest? I think it's that, and because he probably felt that, you know, his strength and his brilliance from, you know, reading all of those years and learning all of these techniques that he could beat anyone. You know, he thought he was the main person to be able to control any city, whether it's Gotham or something else. And he was fascinated with the fact that everyone was fearful of Batman, that everyone, you know, any crook in town, if they heard Batman, they're like, oh, and they became afraid. Whereas Bane, he kind of came off as a person who, you know, he's not afraid of anything. He wants to show everyone that he beat the one person that, you know, that represents fear, that he can pretty much beat the fear. Was Bane ever haunted by dreams? I think I read that somewhere, that he was haunted by dreams of bats or something. Right. Um, he definitely um, gained the phobia, uh, fear of bats, and that happened while he was, I guess, in the prison. Um, and so it's it's interesting because in a lot of stories, Batman has that same fear, fear of bats, but then he overcomes it by becoming the one thing that he fears. And I think that same kind of logic happens with Bane. He gained a fear of bats, but he wanted to not just overcome it, but show that he can overcome any fear, including Batman. Yeah. So maybe it was... Uh... That combined with wanting to be the strongest. Right. That motivated him. Definitely. Because it seems like, you know, there's a lot of strong... I mean, if he wanted to be the strongest, I mean, why wouldn't he take on Superman or something? Right, exactly. Yeah, I guess it's the fear of the bats intertwining. Yeah, I'm sure that what Batman represents, you know, aesthetically as, you know, the shadow of a bat, I mean, that I'm sure 
made him want to almost face his own fear more. Now, I also read somewhere that there was uh, that Bane had a teddy bear. Do you know anything about this? He had a teddy bear when he was younger and when he was in the prison. Um, and you learn in other issues that he held that bear dear to him because he snuck, I guess, a knife in it. And so whenever he had to fight or combat somebody, he would take out the knife and pretty much stab them. So it's interesting that he used a teddy bear, which, you know, is a symbolic of innocence and childhood. And even then, he was already corrupt and his childhood was taken away from being, you know, his home being a prison filled with killers and all that. So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because Bane, he has a lot of different sides to him. You know, he lost his mother and he grew up in a prison and he pretty much had his whole life to build himself up to defend himself from everyone attacking him and he pretty much became this brilliant yet um, fearful guy that wanted to show that he was the one that was the most powerful, I suggest, uh, rogue or being, you know, even over Batman, who was considered the greatest in Gotham City. So he wanted to take that title away from him. What led Venom, or I'm sorry, what led Bane to the Venom? How did that happen? He was um, a test subject in an experiment that a doctor at the prison at the uh, Pinaduro um, put on him. They wanted to see what Venom would do to the human body. And they did about five or six test subjects and the rest of them pretty much um, were either sick or they died from it. But Bane was the only one that kind of, in a way, flourished from having this steroid. You know, it's it's pretty much any steroid. They bulk you up in some way. But the venom, you know, even though it's like a deadly compound, it it combined his own strength and made him into the huge strongman that I think everyone thinks of when they hear the name Bane. And so he pretty much uses that drug. He pumps himself up with it through tubes and, you know, through his mask to, you know, make him into a reg- from a regular man to a giant brute. So has that venom infected any other people in the DC universe? Um, I mean... It uh, besides Batman, I'm sure there have been stories where Venom has taken place in other people, but for the most part, Bane is the only one that's kind of tied to the Venom itself, um, and he kind of kind of goes through withdrawals and suffers from that and becomes addicted to it, like Batman did, and that you kind of see that in following stories, which I always thought was interesting because. Even when I first read it, I thought, you know, oh, he has venom and, you know, he's just a strong man. It doesn't affect him negatively in terms of it's a weakness. I always thought of it as a strength. But then you see that in later issues, he tries to even go off of venom, but he reverts back. Oh. He, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, he needs it. Definitely. It's, it's a necessity for him. Without it, he pretty much goes through a really hard withdrawal. Um, it's the bane of his existence. Exactly. Is that, is that, is that a terrible joke? <laughs> it fits perfectly. Okay. <laughs> so he then breaks out of the prison. Right. He breaks out and then pretty much right after this one shot, um, Batman Nightfall starts. And that's about a year-long three-story arc saga um, it's from 1993, 1994, and it has dozens, pretty much, of creators. 
um, the creators of him, you know, Chuck Dixon and and Graham Nolan, and then you have Alan Grant and Jim Aparo and Norm Brayfogle, and a lot of the kind of stars of the early 90s Batman mythos. Um, they all come and they pin from, you know, they have, it's crossover stories. So you get Batman, like, 492 to 510, and then you have Detective Comics, 659 to like 677, and then you have other arcs like Legends of the Dark Knight, Shadow of the Bat, Catwoman, Robin, all of the major Batman family members um, play a major role in this because everyone's involved. Um, but the main arc that Bane, you know, dominates is Batman Nightfall. It's a 19-ish um, part story. And pretty much um, Bane, he breaks out all of the inmates in the Arkham Asylum. And that makes Batman have to go one by one and put them all back, you know, into confinement. And this process it takes puts a major toll on Batman. You know, he's mentally tired and he's physically tired, especially having to work night by night, putting away some of the most dangerous, you know, villains in Gotham. Usually, you know, he'll deal with crooks and, you know, with who do petty crimes and stuff. But when you're trying to put back Joker and Two-Face and Scarecrow and all of these villains that bring a little bit more to um, their title as rogues, it's pretty much tiring and jarring. And so while Batman is trying to do this and put all the inmates back, Bane is starting to plan and trying to and pretty much discovering who Batman is. He discovers that he is Bruce Wayne. Now at this point in comics, um, other than Bane, Raza Ghoul and I guess Talia Ghoul, his daughter, they're the only ones that know his identity is Bruce Wayne. Um, no one else, even, you know, Joker and Riddler and all of them, they don't know who, who Batman is, even though they always try to figure it out. But once Batman, you know, has pretty much put all of the inmates back into Arkham, and it happens in Batman 497, it's from July 1993, um, and he, you see Bruce um, in Wayne Manor, and he's emerging from the grandfather clock that leads to the Batcave, and he sees Bane standing right there, and he's pretty. And he calls him Bruce Wayne, and he pretty much tells him, "I know your secret," but he says that your fa your facade is really Bruce Wayne. The real person that you are is Batman, and that's who I want to destroy. And so they both pretty much in that issue, it's full hand-to-hand -hand combat. And I love the dialogue in this because it's pretty much Bruce thinking to himself, saying, you know, I can't, pretty much saying I'm going to be defeated. He is fearful of him. He's confused as to how he found himself out. And he just is kind of, as he's being pummeled by Bane, mentally he's kind of breaking down himself. And so they end up in the Batcave and they're, you know, he's knocking Batman over all of his trophies and throwing him across the cave and everything. And then at the end of the issue, he picks him up over his head and he says, I don't want to kill you. I will just simply break you. And then that's when he puts Batman over his knee and breaks his spine. And there's a great sound effect. Crack. Crack. Exactly. Those onomatopoeias are awesome. <laughs> Man. So 
that's he breaks the bat. Definitely. And like I said, to this point, you've never really seen Batman pretty much been defeated like, you know, physically like that. How he couldn't overcome a fight or, you know, so, you know, so bad. And pretty much at the end of, I mean, the beginning of the next issue, you see Bane go on a top of a building and pretty much throw Batman's pretty much almost lifeless body over into the streets of Gotham. And then, you know, Alfred finds him and Robin finds him and he's pretty much, he's paralyzed for the moment. I mean, he, he, Bane literally broke his back. And so Bane then declares himself ruler of Gotham. And so that's when you go into finding, you know, Batman can't, Bruce Wayne can't be Batman anymore. So he has John Paul Valley, who is a new-ish Batman family member to take up the cape and the cowl. Wow. So obviously Batman laid out and uh, how, well, you know what, before we get there, let me just give a shout out to one of our sponsors today, okay. uh, comicsfix.com. You can go there and they have unlimited comic books you can read digitally for just eight ninety nine a month. Um, go, you can actually publish your own books through there and have a digital platform in which to go. And they have apps and they're on the phone. So comicsfix.com. Yeah, that's Comics Fix with F-I-X. So go out and check them out and see if you like what they've got. It's a good service and I think any fan of comic books who likes to read. A lot of comics. This is your chance. So, sorry for that, London. I oh, didn't know that's great. Take you out of your <laughs> I might flow have to check there. Check that out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, there's not Batman on there yet, but uh, hopefully one day. Uh, so Batman is laid out, and you mentioned that they get a new family member to kind of John Paul. John Paul Valley. John Paul yes. Valley, and where did he come from? Well, he was pretty much, he kind of worked in the Batcave. He worked on different, like, um, he worked on, like, the Batmobile and was kind of like a mechanic of sorts. But, you know, he, but Bruce let him into the family. And kind of Tim Drake, who was the Robin at the time, you know, they didn't really like him. He had a very kind of rough attitude and, you know, kind of didn't flow with how Dick Grayson is Nightwing and Tim Drake are. And, you know, kind of he was, like, disrespectful and just kind of had a rude sense about him. So he wasn't, like, the most favorite character. He wasn't cut out for the Batman. Right. But that's why it turned into kind of a problem because Bruce decided to give him um, the mantle as Batman. And he didn't, I guess it bothered um, Dick Grayson, who was involved in this arc, because he didn't ask him to be Batman. And we know that Dick Grayson was the first Robin, and then he turned to Nightwing. And he's, you know, besides Alfred, um, Batman's, you know, longest, you know, known, I guess, family member. You know, Dick Grayson's pretty much an adopted son. And that kind of stirred problems within the kind of more immediate Batman family. But what was the problem was that John Pavelli, he was more lethal. You know, he would use guns and he would kill people. And even though no one knew that Bruce Wayne, you know, was not Batman at the time, people like Commissioner Gordon, who have who has a special relationship with him and, you know, him and the GCPD, he had a feel that that wasn't Bruce Wayne. Do you think Bruce Wayne decided to name 
you know, Valley, the new Batman, is because he wanted him to use the force necessary to destroy Bane? I think that he probably had that in mind. I mean, in the end, um, when he came back, he didn't like the fact that he used such brute force and lethal force, you know, because him as Batman, that's not what he represents. Right. So... At first, you know, he pretty much thought, okay, this is a good idea. And then he went to really habilitate and to become stronger and fix his back and everything. So he was out of commission for some time. But once he came back and found out what he was doing all over Gotham City and putting Batman in a position that, you know, making him represent something more deadly, more harsh, you know, not the kind of justice that he would necessarily want, that's when he had to actually fight um, John Paul Valley back for the mantle, but because of the the strength, you know, the different techniques that John Paul John Paul Valley had, he was able to fight Bane and pretty much run him off. So in a way, it was bad in terms of you know wearing you know a cape and a cowl that didn't represent what John Paul Valley did, but he defeated the enemy that you know ultimately took out Bruce Wayne. Right. So. Bane, I mean, obviously his first appearance, I mean, the ripples he caused in the Bat universe were were huge. Definitely. What other uh, stories are significant with regards to Bane? Um, well, later, I guess the, the, the night, I guess, was Nightfall, Night Quest, and Night's End. Those were the three sagas. After that, um, there was another one shot. It was uh, by... The same people, Graham Nolan and Chuck Dixon, and it was called Vengeance of Bane 2. And that came out in 1995, and it pretty much showed that Bane was pretty much imprisoned in Blackgate Prison. And then he broke out, and he pretty much, it's interesting because this story focuses on what I said earlier, him becoming um, addicted to the venom. And he tries to shake off this, you know, addiction. And in the story, he goes back to Gotham and he needs help. And he goes to Batman for help. And they both, you know, go on this certain, you know, mission. And combined with Bane and Batman's, you know, detective skills, they were able to stop the crooks. And so that's why it's interesting just about a year later that Bane is involved with Batman, not you know, necessarily, you know, the good guy versus the bad guy, but they kind of work together in an interesting way to stop the evil that's happening in Gotham. Um, so that's when you see him next, and then you don't see him for a few years later, but you do see him in the live-action movie Batman and Robin, which came out in 1997. And that's the movie that featured uh, George Clooney as Batman and had Chris O'Donnell as Robin. And it had Rick, uh, it's Robert um, Swanson, I believe, as um, as Bane. And in there, I think that's where a lot of people remember how Bane looked and how Bane acted. Um, because, like I said, a lot of people watched the movies way more than they would have read any of the Nightfall, any of the Vengeance of Bane, and all of the arcs he was introduced prior, showing them that he was, you know, not just a strong man, but he was brilliant and articulate and, you know, he didn't just go rawr, you know, he had something to say. But that that Hulk type of personality and built um, kind of showed in this performance um, uh, 
when Poison Ivy, who was played by Uma Thurman, worked with this, you know, kind of crazy scientist, um, Dr. Woodrow, he pretty much created the toxin venom, and he put it in, um, I guess, Bane. You know, they don't really give you the first name, I suppose. And then they he stocks up. He's this puny guy. He's kind of has a punk look, and then they just inject him in venom, and they even say this is going to be painful. So he's, you know, screaming and, you know, suffering, but then he becomes this huge strong man that just goes rawr all the time, and that's all you really hear. You don't hear him talk, you know, you don't, he doesn't make, a, he doesn't make a sentence really. It's kind of like the, you know, like Bane smash type of thing, you know, and he becomes the strong man to poison Ivy when Pamela Izzy becomes, you know, infected with all of the toxins and the plants and everything from Dr. Woodrow. So in that movie, he's just, a strong man that kind of is just mass and not really any brain. I guess that's where I got my uh, <laughs> impression. But on. a lot of people do. I mean, up until, I guess, um, Bane's live-action appearance in 2012 in The Dark Knight Rises, for live-action, that's the first time you see him. And, and even though it differs from... Um, the Batman animated series episode Bane, where he's talking and everything. I mean, he's a strong man. That's pretty much how, I guess, Joe Schumacher and all of the, you know, writers and producers, they kind of wanted to portray him that way. And, you know, a lot of people had different problems or opinions about Batman and Robin. And it was, you know, it performed the least best out of all of the Batman movies in that franchise. And it pretty much ultimately ended that franchise. They were planning on doing um, Batman Triumphant, which was going to be the next movie, but that pretty much canceled it, and we don't get another Batman franchise until 2005 for Christopher Nolan. So you see Bane in in live action. You see him in movies, but he's nothing like he is in the comics. And so I think that's where a lot of people get the impression of Bane. You know, they... Right. Yeah, definitely. You know he broke the back. You know he's a strong man, but there's so much more. Right, and like I said, in the in the one shot, the Vengeance of Bane two, you see him trying to overcome the drug venom, but he has you know kind of withdrawals and he goes back on it. Um, and then you go; it's a year later because the movie was in 1997. You go to 1998. And it's another Chuck Dixon story. It's called Batman Bane of the Denim, of De Demon, sorry. And it's a four-issue arc and actually deals with Bane helping Ra's al Ghul trying to track down um, this villain. But in the midst of all of that, Bane and Talia al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul's daughter, they kind of have a whirlwind romance. And in the end... Razagul thinks that Bane is worthy of Talia's heart, and they kind of have a really short-lived romance, which is interesting because you never really think like, oh, you know, Bane is going to have a love interest ever because all you see him is just trying to destroy Batman, and that's like his main focus. Now, now Bruce Wayne had a love tryst with Talia, With right? Talia, definitely. So who was first? Was it Bane or Bruce? Oh, Bruce was definitely first when... Okay. Uh, <laughs> That was bad. I wonder if in... Bane was like laying in bed with her afterwards and said, Have you ever been with anyone else? <laughs> and she said, Yeah, Bruce White. Ah! <laughs> the but anger. Definitely. I mean, Bruce Wayne's affair with Talia, if you can call it that, I mean, it started with 
Um, Neil Adams and Dennis O'Neill introducing Roz and Talia Ghul in 1971, um, the first being Daughter of the Demon. And all that story arc was, was Roz Ghul believing that Bruce Wayne, so he found out that his secret identity is Bruce Wayne. I mean, he met him in the Batcave, which mm-hmm. at that point, especially in 1971, no one knew who Bruce Wayne was, but he felt that Bruce was the right match for Talia. And that's when Talia kind of was falling in love with him and calling him his beloved. And, you know, she kind of had an interesting relationship. And then, you know, later um, they shortly get married and everything. And then that's when their son comes. And later that's Damian Wayne, who's now the current Robin. And they have an entire history together, definitely before Bane and Talia. (laughs) So Bane... And Talia, what they obviously they don't last, right? It's, but it's they are a short. formidable team. I mean, that's that's a that's a tough family, right? Definitely. Um, Bang combined with Roz, who's pretty much you know indestructible in his own, I guess, mystical ways. It's def it was definitely interesting, and it's kind of like they travel all over the world, so you get to see more than just the city of Gotham or you know wherever they are. It's very worldwide and it's global, and it's a really interesting story visually and just written. And you get to see Bane in another element, dealing with another character and not just Batman. Um, but then you, you know Bane, he kind of. He's not as prominent in other stories pretty much until 2004, the early 2000s. And he's in a Gotham Knights series, which is a publication. It's a Batman publication that ran for a couple years. And it's um, the arc is called Veritas Liberat. And pretty much in the first issues, well, I guess from issue 47 to 49, um, it's a Scott uh, Beatty and Brian Bolin, who Brian Bolin, I love his work. He's one of my favorite Batman artists. So I'm just like, I'm always biased with that. I think it's stunning. He pretty much is on the hunt. Bane is trying to find out who his father is. And he's, and he heard from a Jesuit priest, interestingly enough, that his father was an American doctor. And so he wanted to go um, to the States and he pretty much went to Batman. And since they have a kind of now more tame relationship, it's not necessarily, I'm going to break you, you're my enemy. You know, I think since he was beaten by John Paul Valley, who, you know, I think that kind of stopped that whole, you know, I'm going to break you and you are the opposite. But he knew Batman, you know, had so much knowledge and science and everything that he said, okay, I have an American doctor who is my father and I want to know who it is. And then those stories kind of flash back to showing Thomas Wayne, who's Bruce Wayne's father, who was a doctor. And he had this short love affair with Bane's mother in the past. And so that's when Bane tells Batman, I think my father is your father and that we're brothers. But he wants to assure whether if that's true or not. So of course this takes Batman, you know, totally by surprise and just shocked. Um, but then once they, you know, go through all the analysis and, you know, figure out things, they find out Thomas Wayne isn't Bane's father, but it's this villain called King Snake. And so that's when Bane wants to go find him and they end up in the Himalayas and Batman and Robin go with him and they pretty much, you know, discover that King Snake is a bad guy and pretty much they both go their separate ways, but Bane finds out that that's his father. 
Um, and I think that's an interesting story because it kind of goes past, you know, Bane, past the Venom, past, you know, breaking Batman's back. And it kind of shows a more, not necessarily sensitive, but a more vulnerable Bane because he really does want to find out who his father is, where he comes from, his lineage, you know. And he asks Batman, who is the perfect person to help him discover that even especially when it could be he could be his brother um to help him so that's a very interesting story arc and that's in gotham knights 47 through 49 um and you see the flashback in earlier issues 33 through 35 and that's all in 2004 so i definitely recommend that story arc to anyone who like me really likes bane and kind of want to know more about you know his history didn't at the end of that story something happen where uh king snake actually um hurt bane he did and i think that's where they both kind of clashed and that's when batman kind of had to swoop in and help um and I guess he didn't, you know, he told him that he was his father and it just, you know, set off a trigger with him. And, you know, King Snake is pretty dangerous. So they both had, you know, a duel. And I think it just kind of, you know, dispersed and they kind of separated. And it kind of ended on that note. I mean, Bane would, you know, go back and kind of talk to him in future issues very briefly. Nothing a story arc such as this. But, you know, he pretty much just found out where he comes from. And besides that, I mean, in comics, you know, Bane joined different, you know, villain, I guess, groups, you know, like anti-Justice League. You know, he's joined the Secret Six and the, like, Secret Society of Villains and things like that. And he appeared in those, you know, short, limited series and things like that. Um, you don't really see Bane as a huge part, you know, besides arcs like Legacy and Identity Crisis where the whole DC Universe was involved. I think people get um, a sense of who Bane is once the 2012 film comes out, which was Christopher Nolan's um, last film of the trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises, and that has Christian Bale as Batman, and Tom Hardy plays Bane. And... I like this interpretation of Bane, of course, more than the Batman and Robin version because, you know, he's a strong man, you know, obviously, and but yet he's so eloquent in how he talks and how he speaks. And I think that calls a lot to how his personality was in Nightfall, where he first really appeared. Um, even though the costume look was different, you know, he had the kind of fur trench coat and, you know, he had the mask that was not filled with venom, but was filled with this type of morphine because within the prison when he was young, he, you know, was brutally beaten almost to death and that morphine almost takes the pain away. So you never see him get fully built up. You don't see him, you know, juice up pretty much. He doesn't have that element, and I know with the Nolan verse, with Christopher Nolan's three films, he likes to be more realistic, and so he didn't include something like Venom, which is kind of a very um, magic type, you know, it's kind of mystical for a steroid. Um, but yeah, I think people, like especially like my sister's generation, she's 14, you know, she knows all the Nolan movies and things like that. She probably 
Well, she probably has seen Batman and Robin, but for most, they only are off of the Nolan films. And so they know Christian Bale as Batman, and they know Heath Ledger as Joker, and they know Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul, and they know Tom Hardy as Bane. And you get to see how, I guess it kind of gives you a feel of how Nightfall is, but kind of in a more modern sense. So I think that's a good, I mean, it's it's an interesting take on a character um, and they kind of give him a more sensitive side with, you know, kind of like his love for Talia and trying to protect his mother in the prison. And, you know, they kind of get those elements from the Vengeance of Bane, his debut in 91. And so it's more, you know, they're inspired more by the comics than they than I think they were in the 1995 film when he was just this giant strong man that, you know, didn't talk. How has Bane been portrayed in the cartoons? Um, in the cartoons, I mean, the first time he was seen in um, the animated series, um, he had the same kind of um, uh, design as he did in Batman Nightfall. And then you kind of see him in Batman Beyond, which is which is in like 2001 through 2004. You see him once, but he's kind of kind of debilitated and he you know is weak and he's not the strong man it's because of course Batman Beyond is in the future and you see him kind of at a weak stance but then you go to series like The Batman which was between 2004 and 2008 which is different from the DCAU as you know Deanie and Bruce Timm's universe and you see him as this giant you know juiced up guy you know juiced up with venom and he talks and you know it's not it's Usually when you see him in the animated series, such as the Batman and um, in the animated series, he is a strong man, but he still, you know, is articulate and has that quality that I think is really important when you try to um, portray Bane. So in the animated series, it's much closer to the comics, I think, than to the the, to the film, right. which I, I think... I think is good. I think it's better. Is personally. that that's your favorite incarnation, the film? The um, third film? Yeah, the third film, that's my favorite incarnation. Of course, if they ever made a Nightfall film or animated anything, I would love that. That would probably be my favorite because that's my favorite right. bang. I mean, DC does that, right? They make those iconic animated films right. over... D like They did The Dark Knight Returns, right? Right. So there is a chance, I guess, um, that one day they would make a Nightfall um, just like people um, really want to see um, a Killing Joke created, which oh, yeah. I think that would be awesome as well. Cool. But yeah, so if a, if a Batman Nightfall was created, I would totally, definitely watch that. I think that would be really good. Cross your fingers. <laughs> what about uh, comics currently? Um, in the New 52, you see him, and it's interesting, you still see him addicted to Venom, and he actually tries to get off of it you see him in the forever evil storyline and the the publication and um he doesn't have a necessarily large role but he's still one of the main rogues you know he's still along with all of the rogues gallery um and he doesn't really have a large i, su I suppose um part you know as like maybe nightfall or a large story arc but you still see him 
as, you know, one of the rogues. And even when they did, um, like, the origin stories and the one-shots, they kind of play off how he was a prisoner in a faraway land, and then, you know, he became the strong man, then he discovered Venom, and then he escaped, and then he went to find Batman. And that's what's interesting about the New 52, is that, you know, like I like I said in previous in a previous episode, it was a soft reboot. It wasn't a full reboot where they kept certain storylines, you know, like the Killing Joke and um, and Death in the Family, um, and they kind of kept Batman Nightfall as well because there are times where Batman and Bane maybe have a squabble, and Bane, you know, will say, you know, I'll break you again like I did last time, and it references that in the past, even though we don't necessarily see it, you know, that Nightfall pretty much exists in this new DC universe. Um, so you still get Bane, you know, he's still in the current comics, maybe not as prominent, but he's still a character that exists that clearly they still want to keep that he broke the bat. Right. And do you have any predictions for what's going to happen in the future with him? Um, you know, I don't know. I am waiting for a, um, a convergence, I guess, since we're doing that right now. Um, maybe where Bane comes back in some type of universe and it's that Nightfall Bane and it's not, you know, it, it's not a current one. But, uh, um, but really, I would like to see Bane more, you know, important in the Batman comics and see kind of what the creators do with him. Um, hopefully they won't just write him off and keep creating new characters, especially in the Batman mythos, because I know in the future the, um, Scott Snyder and uh, Greg Capullo are introducing new Batman villains, which I read this week, which is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I would definitely like them to revive Bane in the way that he was so terrifying as I saw him in Batman Nightfall decades ago. So that is my hope. That they'll bring him back in his terrifying glory. Exactly. <laughs> now, you have a little figure sitting I on the do. table. What I, is this? <laughs> it is a Funko Pop um, vinyl figure, and it's a Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. And I, for, of course, since Bane is my favorite character, I wanted a Bane Funko, and so... I bought, I think, two of them when he first come up, but now Bane is actually retired. That whole line that has Batman, Catwoman, like the Anne Hathaway Catwoman, and Bane, the whole line is retired, so you can't buy them in stores anymore. Like, you have to go on eBay, and they cost, like, 80 bucks. Oh I mean, when I got him for, like, four ninety nine at GameStop, so... We actually have three. The dog ate one. Yeah, our dog ate the first one I had. Is the other one in the box? The yes. other one is in the box, and it's on the shelf, and it's nice and pristine. There you but then go. this one, I carry around all the time. And even... I used to do it a lot before. I don't do it anymore. But on the Instagram page, I would do Adventures of Little Bane. Nice. And I would take them all over the place, wherever I went, to a museum, to a theme park, to anywhere, and I would take a picture of them there. And so I have them in my backpack all the time. I carry them around just in case I need to take a Photoshop. That's great. Uh, so on the Instagram <laughs> account, we can see pictures of Funko yeah, Bane? Yeah, if you hashtag Adventures of Lil Bane, it's just him. It's like about 30 pictures long, and it's just Bane everywhere. So. Is it Lil, L-I-L? L-I-L, yes, <laughs> Lil Bane. So I need to start doing that again. I haven't. I think I've just been so busy, even though I have him with me all the time. But, yeah, so that, he's my inspiration, my little guy. That, um, so. <laughs> hey, that's great. 
Is there any other Batman things that you keep on you at all times? Oh, yeah. Um, I am a huge we, – we collect Funkos all the time. And so I have an Adam West Batman because that's my favorite Batman. And I have a blue and kind of yellow glow-in-the-dark Batman and you on keep those too. on you right now? So yeah, I, I actually have them in my bag. Let's see them. Okay. <laughs> Pull them out. I do because – Sometimes, um, like I said, if I see some place that I really want to go, so see, here's the glow-in-the-dark one. Nice. See? And then, I'm sorry, you guys can't see it, but I've showed it on the page before, and then there's the Adam West one. You know what? we got to take a picture of these guys tonight in the podcast room. Okay. And then tweet that out or awesome. Instagram that Definitely. out. Definitely. I would love to. So how, again, can people follow you aside from listening to this wonderful podcast. If you want daily Batman history and posts, you should definitely follow Instagram.com slash History of the Batman. I update it daily, um, and I always have just new and different content, whether it's with news or just history just like we've talked about. Um, I definitely recommend, if you haven't followed, that you should. And I'm also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash History of the Batman. Uh, Tumblr, historyofthebatman.tumblr.com, and Twitter, hist, H-I-S-T, of the Batman. Um, that's where you can find me. That's incredible. Now, my last question for you. What is your favorite Bane costume? Because I see the Funko, right. the Lil Bane, but is that your favorite costume? No, my favorite is from the Nightfall series. And I have a custom Bane. I didn't bring it today because it's very fragile. Um, because that's my favorite costume, the kind of the um, the kind of uh, wrestler, fighter costume, luchador. you know, luchador Luch- kind of costume. He has the black and red eyes and the white mask. And, you know, he's just super, you know, pumped up with Venom. And that costume, that's what I want to see in the animated series. Or that's what I want to see in live action. I would love to see that incarnation put outside of comics. That's my favorite. Definitely. Oh, so. <laughs> I bought her a custom Funko. There's, a, there's people who actually take the Funko's melt them down and rebuild them. So yeah. I bought her a custom Bane Funko that looks like the Nightfall Funko, but he has tubes coming out of him and he's really fragile and he would get torn apart in her purse. Right. These guys, so, I usually throw nice. my backpack and they're good to go. They're still fine, but... Um, you came from the shadows with a present. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was so excited. And he, we actually follow him on Instagram. Yeah, um, who's that? His Give. name is Juxtadude. So J-U-X-A-D-U-D-E, Juxtadude. And he does amazing customs of pretty much anything you can think of, you know, in the comic book world he'll make a funko for you so i really suggest you check him out he's he's a really nice guy and he does amazing work especially if you're a funko lover like i am very cool very cool well i would like to thank you once again for this wonderful episode the character profile of bane um and i guess we'll see people or they'll tune in next week and what do you got planned for next week? Next week, I kind of have um, an interesting retrospect. I know a lot of followers who, you know, really want to get into comics. You know, they'll either see a post and they say, I want to start reading Batman comics. I don't know where to go. And so I've compiled a kind of short list decade by decade um, highlighting two creators, whether they're writers or artists or both, 
who kind of represent that era and one or two of their significant comics um, that they've done and why their work is important to Batman's mythology. And pretty much, it's like a Batman one-on-one. It's kind of, if you want to jump into stories, whether it's in a certain time period or with a certain character, um, this is the episode you should listen to because I think it gives great stories that any person who wants to start reading Batman should listen to or read. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm excited for the next episode. Shadow Adam, how you doing on that one? You like that topic? That's a good topic. It's a question she gets asked very often. Okay, good. Well, let's answer some questions next week. Thank you once again. Uh, as we wrap up, let me give a few shout-outs to our sponsors. We got ComicsFix.com, which is a digital comics platform. Please check them out. Read their comic books. Uh, we have, obviously, Meltdown Comics at 7522 Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. You can give us a call at 323-851-7223. Check it out on Melt at MeltComics.com. Uh, lots of stuff happening down here at the store. Every night there is programming. So we got the Meltdown show. We got Nerd Melt shows happening it's fantastic we also got fat collectibles uh at our store here they got a shop within meltdown so check them out as well that's p-h-a-t and uh, of course if you sign up for loot crate you can send or type in the code meltdown and get three dollars off your purchase there so Again, thank you, London. Thank you, Shadow Adam. And we will see and be with you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.